when you leave here, if I could just get you to think a little more deeply about the cross and do that daily. We all, as human beings, we have a tendency to forget. And uh, I don't know if you're like me, but I uh, sometimes just don't remember things I'm supposed to remember. And uh, as I was getting ready to to, uh, write this, I was recalling that uh, several months ago, my wife Carol and I were having some friends over, and I had asked her a number of times if I could help her. And I think all the guys here, we know that when, when when we have company, the burden always falls on our wives. I mean, really, they're the ones who do all the work. They do the, the planning, the shopping, the preparation, the cooking. Everything is usually done by our wives. And I, I asked Carol several times, is there something I can do? And she kept saying, no, it's okay. And finally, a, a short while before the company came, I asked her again, and she said, you know what? When the guests get here, just ask them what they'd like to have to drink. It's great. So a company came, and I guess it was about a half hour afterwards, the company had come, and we were all sitting in the living room, and we were having, you know, nice little trays of snacks, uh, some pepperoni and provolone and things like that, and I was really enjoying it and, and washing it all down with my Diet Coke, and Carol came over to me very gracefully and said, I guess she observed that no one else was drinking and said, did you ask if anyone wanted a beverage? I forgot. In that short period of time, I, for- I didn't remember. And that happens to us with many things. And by the way, <laughs> I-, I mentioned that to Carol. I said, I'd like to use this as an illustration to start my message. And she remembered or wanted to remind me, she said, make sure you tell them that that was probably the second or third time that happened with company that <laughs> night. So it seems our wives never forget. Sometimes I wish they wouldn't remember everything, but they don't forget. But we all as human beings forget. We have a tendency not to remember. And uh, like I said, tonight we get together because we have a, a, a type of, uh, I guess we could call it a memorial service, where we remember Christ. It's a service to remember what he has done, because we forget so easy. And in the scriptures, many times, there's places where the people are warned, remember the Lord your God, especially in the book of Deuteronomy. God has Moses tell the people, Don't forget the Lord. When you get in the land, especially chapter 8, he tells him, when you get into the promised land, and now you've taken over, God has given you victory over all the peoples that were there, and you have these houses that you didn't build, and these fields and crops and all the good things. He says, don't forget the Lord your God. Why? Because people forget. We forget very easy. We don't remember, especially the most important thing we should, and that's God. And I believe that we should remember the cross every day. And when I say the cross, I think we can intertwine when we say the cross with the gospel. Because the message of the gospel, in a sense, is the cross. And the cross is the message of the gospel. They're intertwined. 
and we should be living the gospel and the cross every day and remember it every day. That's where our life comes from. But let me get started here. Uh, what I'd like to do is look at the cross from two different angles tonight. You know how we, we have sporting events many times and we never, there's never one camera, there's always many cameras and we get a full perspective of what's happening at an event when, when we have many cameras. It's like the four gospels you think of, they all focus in on one event, but it gives you a different perspective of it. And tonight what I'd just like to do is take two, two angled cameras from the cross. One of them I'd like to look at is the cross as the place of suffering and death. And the other angle camera, the other angle that it comes in on, I'd like us to look at the cross as the place of God's great love for us. So let's start with the cross as a place of suffering and death. I'm not going to take the time tonight to focus on the physical suffering. I think we've all seen enough, and, and it doesn't take too much for us to look at a picture of the cross and see Christ when we see pictures of him, or I'm sure almost everyone has seen the passion of Christ. We, we get it. The cross is a place of horrible physical suffering. But tonight, I'd, I'd like to look at something that I believe is, was even worse when it came to suffering for Christ. And I'm going to read uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21. I'm even going to ask you tonight, maybe don't even... Uh, bother to go to it, but just listen to the scripture, okay? In fact, I'll be reading from the, uh, the NIV also, and uh, for, I know some of you are diehard King James and uh, New American Standards. Uh, as I'm reading that, the NIV is not the new inferior version, so I know some of you have uh, thought that at, at times. It's, uh, it's a good version. Uh, Christ in, in in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he said, he said, God made him, referring to Christ, who had no sin, to be sin for us. And he says, so that we might become the righteousness of God. I want to focus just on the first part of that verse for a moment. God made him, Christ, who had no sin, to be sin for us. Now, why do I say we we're going to look at something worse than the physical suffering. Think about this for a minute. Christ, the holy Son of God, Jesus, who was innocent, who was sinless, the Son of God, what was that like for him? To be sin for us, to become sin for us. Now, not he didn't become a sinner, and he didn't sin, okay? So we want to separate that right away. But he became sin for us. Our sin was imputed or accredited to his account. It was laid upon him. Think about all the filthy deeds that have been done by people, by us. Think about when Christ became sin for us. Think about... Murder, rape, incest, lying, stealing, cheating, hate, all those sins were placed upon Christ. What was that like for Christ to experience 
the feeling of that, of bearing the guilt of our sin when he was there at the cross. The Bible says that he stood in our behalf. The word huper in the original language means to stand in our behalf or to stand in our place. He took that for us. I want to go back to the scripture that Mike read for us, Isaiah 53. Uh, unbelievable portion of scripture. What a description of the crucifixion of Christ and what took place on the cross as he was bearing us in. And I want to read just a handful of verses for you. And I'm just, wherever it says he, I just want to put Jesus' name in. Just listen to these for a moment. This is what he did for us. Verse 4. Surely Jesus took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Verse 5. But Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Jesus. And by Jesus' wounds, we are healed. Verse 6, the Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. Verse 8, for the transgression of my people, Jesus was stricken. Verse 10, Jesus' life was a guilt offering, Isaiah says. Verse 11, Jesus will bear their iniquities. And finally, the end of verse 12, for Jesus bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. That's us. He took all that for us. Back in the Old Testament, God in his grace gave, when he gave the law, he gave the people a system of atonement, a way of atoning for their sins by sacrifice, sacrificial atonement, using the blood of animals to give a temporary, a temporary covering is what it really was, because the scriptures tell us that that whole system of sacrifice was just a shadow of the things that were to come in the future when Christ came, who would be do it once for all. But unlike the scapegoat, which in, in, during that time, it was symbolic. Once a year, the Day of Atonement, the high priest would first have to sacrifice animals for his own sin, to atone for his own sin before he could even minister to the people before, for the Lord. He would atone for his own sin, and then the high priest would go, and he would place his hands on There would also be another sacrificial animal that would be slain, and the, the blood would be sprinkled on, on, uh, in the Holy of Holies. But the, uh, the high priest would go, and he would place his hands on the head of this scapegoat, and symbolically, there he would confess with his hands on the goat, all the wickedness and the rebellion of the people of Israel during the past year. 
And it was a symbolic transfer. And the people were justified by putting their faith in that act that was taking place because there wasn't an actual transfer of their sins. But with Christ, he was a real scapegoat. When Christ took our sins, he actually bore them upon himself. He bore the guilt of our sin. It was transferred to him. And what did that do? That separated Christ from the Father. Think about that for a moment. Have you ever thought about Jesus? If we look back, it's hard for me to, again, it's hard to comprehend these things, but looking to eternity past, I guess looking at the past forever and ever in the past, I don't know where, how we, we can grasp that, but all during that time, the forever past, Jesus and the Father were in perfect union They were part of the Trinity with the Holy Spirit. There was perfect union. Jesus was always with his Father throughout eternity. And yet, this day, he was separated. Christ became separated from the Father. That perfect, beautiful union, the perfect relationship. That is all love. Galatians 3.13 Paul says, Christ redeemed us. And that idea of redeeming us is the idea of to to buy a slave's freedom or to buy a debtor's freedom. That word redeems means there. And it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Christ became a curse for us, it says. For it is written, and then he quotes from Deuteronomy, Paul, this is Paul quoting from Deuteronomy 21, 23, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. It says that cursed, Christ became a curse for us. And the whole idea when Paul is talking in Galatians in chapter 3 here in this portion of scripture, it's, it's old covenant language. Is what it, it's the language of what covenants had, where it had to do with cursing and blessing. The, the covenants of antiquity would have sometimes two parts to them. There'd be the part that has the reward and the part that has the punishment. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, Moses speaks about the blessings and the curses. And God, again, this is God speaking through Moses. The people are told that if you obey, if you obey the covenant, that you'll be blessed. And the blessings, that's, that's where he says when, when, you go in the, when you're in the city, you'll be blessed. And you'll be blessed when you're in the country. Your, the fruit of your womb will be blessed. Your, your uh, crops will be blessed. Your calves of your herds will be blessed. And he goes on and on. He says, your kneading trough will be blessed and your bread will be blessed. And it's blessing. You obey God. You follow. You you be faithful to God's covenant and you're blessed. But then the other side is just the opposite. It's like a, a, almost a, I guess, a, a, a negative image of it. He says, but if you disobey, you'll be cursed. You'll be cursed in the city. You'll be cursed in the country. And he goes on, the fruit of your womb will be cursed, your crops will be cursed, your bread, your kneading trough, your bread will be cursed. He, He goes on and on. 
with the cursing, the two sides of the covenant in, in that language. And just one more thing. I don't want to get hung up with too much facts here tonight, but one more thing, and it's the idea of blessing to a Hebrew. In, in the uh, book of Numbers, chapter 6, there's the priestly blessing that was given. It's the Lord bless you. you. You have heard it many times. Sometimes even you know, pastors or ministers will use it where the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Shalom. And that's to the Jew. Blessing was the beatific vision. It was being, seeing the face of God. It was having God turn his face toward you and be in his presence and feel the light of coming from his face, that light of his countenance, just coming on you and experiencing his grace. Blessing meant being in God's presence, and that was shalom, that was peace, and that was just well-being for a Jew when he experienced that. That's what blessing meant to him. Now, let's go back for a minute to the cross here. Picture, if when Christ was on the cross, remember what he said? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At that point, as Christ was on the cross, the Father turned his face away from Christ. Instead of having the Lord looking at him, he turned his face, the light was gone. If you remember, from 12 noon to 3, darkness filled everything. God turns his face from Christ. It's, it's like the lights go out when God turns his face from you like that. And Jesus was cursed at that point by God, where Paul, where I read the scripture in Galatians 3.13, where he became accursed, he was experiencing the curse, being out of God's presence. And you remember Golgotha, where he was crucified. It was outside of the city, outside, away from the presence of God. When they would let the scapegoat go, it was the same thing. They'd let him go out of the camp, and they'd put him in the wilderness, which is like thinking of outer darkness in a sense, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth and wailing. And Jesus was there outside of the city. He was separated from God. And he cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At that point, there was darkness. God had turned his face away. He was separated from the presence of God. And he was feeling the full fury and wrath of God's just wrath, I should say. The justice of God, God's justice was taking care of sin at that point, punishing the sin. And Jesus experienced that full wrath. Think about it. When you look up at the heavens and you see the power and the awesomeness of that, and that's the creative beauty of God. Picture all that power and then picture his wrath being, 
being put upon you like that? We can't, we can't begin to even comprehend that. It's hard enough to apprehend it, let alone comprehend it, that uh, we can't understand that. You think about that, and maybe it becomes a little clearer why the night before he was crucified, when he fell to his knees in the garden to pray, he sweat drops of blood, it says. He was agonizing inside and suffering already at that point, thinking Jesus knew what was going to take place. He knew he would face the wrath of God. He knew what was going to happen. And he was overwhelmed. And he asked the Father, you know, if it's possible, you know, can you take this cup from me that what Pastor mentioned before, that full wrath of God, that cup filled with the wrath of God, because he knew how horrible that was. But he said, not mine, but will, your will be done. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. That was the price. Peter, in 1 Peter 1.18, the scripture we know well, he says, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold. It wasn't silver or gold that we were redeemed, he says, from the empty way of life handed down to us from our forefathers. It wasn't silver or gold. Silver or gold could not do it. The psalmist said, you know, who can, you know, who can purchase or redeem a soul? You can't. It had to be the blood of Christ, the perfect blood of him. He says, Peter, he ends with, with the perfect blood of Christ. Remember the cross daily. Remember the suffering. Remember the price that Christ paid for us. Don't become numb to that. Too many times it's almost like, yeah, Jesus suffered and died for our sins. No, we, got, we have to meditate on that daily. We have to enter into that and really think deeply about that. That's where five, ten minutes a day, at some point, shut the TV off, shut the computer off, shut the phone off, stop being active with your hobbies, I'm speaking for all of us. And just go in a quiet room and take a few moments. And as you meditate there, think about the suffering of Christ. Think about the cross. Now, to move on quickly, we look at the suffering. The cross is a place of suffering and death. But now, let's look at the other camera the cross, to remember it as a place of God's great love for us. And this I'll make brief, this portion. A scripture that if a Christian memorizes any scripture, this is probably the scripture we memorize. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. 
Think about that first part, for God so loved the world. For God so loved, it says. I tried to think about how, you know, how I can imagine that, how God could have such love for us. And I I was thinking about that for a minute, that he gave his one and only son. And you've probably thought along these lines, too. Or maybe there's been, you know, illustrations of it. But I was picturing witnessing an execution. And just before, and this man who's being executed is is a serial rapist, murderer, uh, brutalized people, a life of horrible crime against humanity. And... The warden looks at me and says, do you know, if you're willing to give me your child, we'll take him, and this man can go free. We won't count this against him. We'll give him a chance. Just thinking about that, I'll be honest with you, repulses me a little bit inside. And uh, I think the only word that comes to my mind is, never. Never will I do this. And yet, Paul says in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were the bad guys. We were at our worst. Romans 8, 7 says the sinful mind is hostile to God. Our thoughts before Christ were hostile to God. We were his enemy. We didn't care about God. We cared nothing about God before we were saved. And that's the very point that Christ came in our life and gave us grace and gave us a new heart and a new spirit. And we were able to come to faith and repentance. But he did it when we were at our worst, people. And he still did it. Because for God so loved the world, we're told. We were enemies of God. First John 4.10, he writes to the church and he says, This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. It's he loved us first. It's all by God. It's all his initiative. It's all his grace. He made the move when we didn't deserve it. That's his love. Even David, I wonder, you know, exactly what was on his mind as he said this, but... In Psalm 8, David says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, he says, the stars and the moon, he says. And he goes on to say, What is man that you are mindful of him? You know, think that God is so mindful of us. I forgot the other part of the verse, so I left it right there. (laughs) He says, but you know, that he is mindful of us. God loves us so much. And he showed it on the cross. 
He couldn't show it. He had for centuries kept trying to show humanity his great love for them, what he was doing for the people over and over, and finally he did the extreme act. He said, I give you my son, he said. You know, that's extreme love that we find hard to grasp sometimes. So I say, remember the cross daily. Remember the suffering and the death of Christ at the cross. Remember the love of God at the cross. Now, one more thing, and I close with this last section. So what do we do with all this? These are things to think about, but this is what I want to suggest to you when you think about the cross, when you remember the cross. When you look at it as a place of suffering and death, look at the price that was paid for it and look at it as the consequence of sin. And let it make you repulse when you see sin in your life. Let it it take you to that point. You see what a horror sin produces. Sin ultimately equals what you saw on the cross, the death and suffering that is on mankind because of sin. Focus on the cross as a place and remember it as a place of suffering and death. And then hate the very sin that you see in your life. Don't hate sinners. We're called to be a light to them and love them. And Paul said if we were to uh, basically, you know, want to get away from that, we'd have to leave the world if we wanted to get away from sinful people. We'd have to get away from ourselves first if we wanted to get away from sinful people. But, and may that be the beginning of a step of holiness. Holiness is being devoted to God and separated from sin. Let that be something to remind you to separate yourself from sin in your life. Whenever you see something that's sinful in your life, stop it. Remember this and stop it. Remember what sin leads to. And then look at the other half of the cross there that great love of God. And somehow think about that and remember that love of God that he has that is so great for us. And I like to think of it as a a way of fueling our passion, people. We need to have passion for God. It has to come from the heart. I almost picture our heart has like where passion is in it, there's like a pilot light to a stove. And when we think about the love of God for us that Christ has shown us, it should be like we turn the knob to high and it just comes up. That passion just burns for God and for Christ like that. So remember the cross daily. Remember the suffering and death. Remember God's great love for us. And let that be a vehicle of taking us to a higher degree of sanctification and holiness, not by our might, 
but by God's grace as he works in our heart, it's all by his grace. It's not, I'm going to discipline myself to do this, or I'm going to try harder. No, it's surrendering more and more and just falling in love with him more and more and submitting and just allowing his grace to work through us. Thank God for the cross. Thank God that this Friday we can call good because of the suffering that he did for us and for God's great love. And let's remember the cross daily, people. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your mercy, your grace, your love shown on the cross for us, Lord. Thank you that you did not leave us to stay in our sin, but you gave the most extreme act of love and sacrifice so that unworthy people could be saved, Lord, and be your children and be a part of your kingdom, Lord, that we can experience one day the beatific vision, the blessings of being in your presence for eternity with those who love you, Lord. May we pray often and have a a burden for those, Lord, who are under the curse, that we would pray that they too would come to you. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.